Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel and Hookset. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. Importance of fellowship. I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. We are going to do, uh, we're going to read through this entire, entire chapter. I know that excites you. It should excite you because the Word of God is awesome. It has the power to change our lives. Right? This is the Word of God. It is, it is living. It is alive. We also are on the Bible app, guys. If you want to open your Bible apps, go to events. You'll see Emmanuel Baptist Church there, and you can find the sermon notes on the Bible app this morning. And read along with us. So 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse number 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, that life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us that we which have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly, truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So this is the Apostle John. He was Jesus' best friend while he was on earth. Did Jesus have best friends? I believe he did. John was called the beloved disciple. He was one of the fabulous three, right? He was there uh, at the Mount of what's called Transfiguration when Jesus the man was enshrouded, right, with the deity of Christ and they saw him in his glory and it blew their minds. And so what John is saying is, let me tell you something about Jesus. He is God in the flesh, and we have seen him. We have held him. We have had breakfast with him. We have spoken with him. We have followed him. We're not telling you about someone that we knew from somebody else's ideas. We're not telling you about someone that we know from a book that we read. This is John the Apostle basically saying, I'm an eyewitness. I knew Jesus in the flesh. And he's going to tell us a few things. These things we write to you that your joy may be full. I think this is so cool. Is God concerned with the joy of his children? Absolutely he's concerned about it. He put it in the Bible. Not only does the Apostle John talk about it, but Jesus himself talked about the importance of our joy. And church, I've got to tell you, if you're a Christian and you are not walking in the joy of the Holy Spirit of God in your life, your impact on this world for the cause of Christ is going to be greatly diminished. If they're not seeing joy in you, they're not seeing Jesus in you. Now, I'm not talking about temporary happiness because I got a new iPad. Happiness is based on circumstance. Joy is based in Jesus. It can be experienced while you're also experiencing great grief. 
Joy is that absolute connection to Christ. And, and I hope that if you are not experiencing the true joy of Jesus at this morning, you'll begin to experience it. We're going to go on to verse number five. This is the message which we've heard from him and we declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, but we walk in the darkness and lie and do not, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sins. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now, those of you that are absolutely, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. For those that espouse one translation over another and you say, oh, the, the, the verse numbers and the chapters are right in the center of the Bible, the Psalms, and this is the center verse of the Bible. The verse numbers and chapters are made up. Those are not inspired. Those are made up by the translators. So when we went into chapter two, we went into chapter two because it was a continuation of the thought of chapter one. That's why we went there. The word of God is the words that were written, not the chapters and the verses. But this is such a powerful passage of scripture. And I want to I take us down, uh, we're, we're going to take a little walk this morning on fellowship and what it means to be in fellowship with Jesus, with each other, and the importance of it. So first of all, fellowship is something that we have in common. It is to share, it is to participate, and the church is the fellowship of the saints. It's getting together around something that we have in common. Folks, that's the unspiritual definition of fellowship. We get together, we have something in common, we fellowship around it. Um, there's the odd fellows, there's the granges, right? There's, there's all sorts of fellowships in the world, uh, and it just simply means we have this thing in common, we get together, we gather around this thing. So I have fellowship with people that are Buffalo Bills fans. Yeah, come on. Um, I'm feeling really outnumbered right now, Dave. I don't know why that is. We went out to dinner last night, and the uh, manager of the restaurant took occasion to my shirt. I wore my favorite shirt. It's starting to get holes in it. It's like wearing out. It's my Buffalo Bill shirt. He's like, oh, man. He almost didn't want to serve me. But I can have fellowship with Dave and Suzanne because we are Bills fans for life. We're family. That's a, you know what though? That's just a worldly fellowship. It's a, it's a secular thing. It doesn't really build us up. It doesn't really do anything. It gives us something in common to enjoy, right? But that's not the fellowship of the saints. What do the saints have in common? What do we have in common as Christians? See, I'm a Bills fan. A lot of you guys are Pats fans. Um, a lot of you guys are Fairweather Pats fans because you moved to Tampa Bay as soon as Tom left. Just saying. Uh, that's New England South. Um, so what can overcome those differences? That's a sharp difference, isn't it? Being a Bills fan and a Pat, that's a sharp difference. There's got to be something that goes above and beyond 
our sports fandom. It's got to be, some of you guys are Chevy guys, some of you guys are Ford guys, some of you guys are foreign car guys, right? Uh, some of you are socially well off, right? You, you're high up on the ladder. Some of y'all are, listen, you're on the poor end of the spectrum. You're struggling to make ends meet, right? There's all, listen, some of you are senior saints, some of you are teenagers, some of you are junior high, some of you are at college, some of you are going to college, some of you went straight into the workforce, some of you are military, ex-military, some of you have never been in the military, and yet we come together as a church because there's something common that we all agree upon, a shared experience, and that experience is Jesus Christ and the salvation that we have. It cuts across all division. It cuts across style. Oh, I like this music. I don't like that music. Folks, if music is keeping you from worshiping Jesus, you've missed the point. If it keeps you from the fellowship of the saints, you've missed the point. It's not the music we have in common. It's who the music is pointing to, Jesus. So fellowship, very simply, is to have in common. Spiritual fellowship is having Jesus in common. I want to talk about the end and beginning of true fellowship before we get too far into this message. True fellowship begins with knowing Jesus. And in this chapter, John, the apostle, the beloved disciple, takes a moment to build up these believers in their faith before he dives into the rest of the book. He's basically saying, hey guys, you've trusted in Jesus and I want you to know something. I knew him personally and he's worth trusting in. He is who he said he is. He did what he said he came to do. He rose from the grave and ascended up into glory. He is God in the flesh. I want you to be encouraged in your faith. You didn't misplace your faith. He's encouraging these believers that Jesus is God in the flesh. That's the foundation of biblical fellowship. We must know Christ and we must be known by him. But see, the end of fellowship happened in the Garden of Eden. The end of fellowship with God happened in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 2, you can turn there if you have your Bibles. If you don't, I'm just going to read it to you. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. It's Genesis 2.15. And, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. You shall surely die. And so when Eve took the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and she ate that fruit, and then she gave it to her husband, Adam, and he ate that fruit. They both died in that very moment. Physically, they became empty shells. They had a soul. They had a body, but their spirit died that day. The spirit is what connects us to God. That's the connection between man and God is the spirit. And when Adam and Eve broke that one rule in the garden, their spirit died. Their connection to the Father was severed. That was the end of fellowship. The end of fellowship. It was over. It was done. And then they went on to try to rebuild what they had lost. And this is religion. 
Religion is man's way of reaching God. Religion is man's idea, and religion and man's natural default is legalism. Man's natural default is we're going to fix what was wrong, we're going to fix what was broken, and we can do it. But the problem with that idea is it's full of pride and arrogance, which is what made Lucifer, the angel, fall from heaven and rebel against God. Ego, pride, arrogance. So they took some fig leaves and they sewed them together, an act of work. And they covered their nakedness with the fig leaves. That was their religion. And when they finally met God, God came into the garden. I believe they, listen, they had an appointed time of day. They were supposed to walk with God and talk with God and fellowship with God. Well, they hid from God because they had sinned and they knew it. And even though they sewed fig leaves together to cover their sin, in their heart of hearts, they knew it wasn't enough. So here comes God in the garden. He says, Adam, Adam, where are you? We got a date. It's our lunch date. Where'd you go? And then he meets Adam and Eve in the garden and they're hiding themselves. And what does God do? He foreshadows the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. He slays two animals the first time in the history of the world. He kills these two animals and clothes Adam and Eve with their skins. And the blood from the animals purchased for them a temporary reprieve from their sin. And that began the animal sacrifice of the Old Testament pointing toward the final sacrifice of Jesus. That was the end of fellowship. And what happened after that was every single man and woman that was born on the face of the earth, including all of you here this morning, we were born with a dead spirit. We're a living soul, we have a heart, we're a living body. But we're born without a living spirit. You say, Pastor, really? How, how do you arrive at that? Well, he said you surely die, but his death carried on to the rest of us. In Ephesians chapter 2, you can turn there if you have your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says this, And you, you, he's talking to all these believers in the church at Ephesus. It was a church somewhere in Turkey. Right? They'd planted this church. The church was growing. It was full of people that believed in Jesus. And this is what the Apostle Paul, he's encouraging them. He's saying, you, you, God, made alive. You, he, had ma he made alive who were, who were before your salvation, before you came to Jesus, you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, just as others. So here Paul the apostle confirms what I'm explaining to you, that what happened in the Garden of Eden. Everyone born after Adam was born dead. And, and often when I lead people to Christ, I'll pray something like this. Lord, I know that I am a sinner by birth and by choice. Folks, that's true. By nature and by will, I am a sinner. That is what happened. That's the end of fellowship, the end of fellowship. And then, we look in John chapter 17. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. 
as you've given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you've given him. And this is eternal life. You talk about, oh, I want to go to heaven. Heaven is awesome. But listen, eternal life is not just hanging out in heaven. Eternal life, okay? This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's eternal life. And of course, God is in heaven. He's on his throne in heaven. And so if we know God, we know Jesus, and we've come to him for salvation, we too will be in heaven with God. And when this earth is destroyed and the, new, the earth is remade and the curse is gone, we'll be hanging out on a new earth as well. We kind of get caught up in walking on the streets of gold. Listen, man, this planet's going to be beautiful one day. Absolutely beautiful. This is the reality is that we need now to know God in a way that we formerly could not know God. And that is on a spiritual level. And all of the religion in the world will not fix that. You have to have a new and living spirit. I've glorified you on the earth. I've finished the work you've given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had before the world was. And so the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the foundation of Christianity. Not religion, not the church, Jesus. And prior to Jesus coming, God was distant to most people. Most people didn't experience a personal walk with God prior to the coming of Jesus. Uh, he was up on Mount Sinai where the Ten Commandments were delivered. Remember the Mount Sinai, that was the mountain that you could not walk on or touch it lest you die. There was a veil between God and man. Are you walking with me here? In the temple, in the New Testament temple, there was a veil between the Holy of Holies and the rest of Israel. And the only person that could enter into the Holy of Holies was a high priest and he had to make a sacrifice for himself in order to get in there to make a sacrifice for the nation of Israel. There was a veil between you and God. It was inseparable. We could not get through it. And then came Jesus. And you know, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, this is a significant event. The temple veil, the, the, the separation between man and God was torn in two. It was torn in two. And what that symbolized was access for everyone to come into the presence of God the Father once again through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the beginning now of true fellowship. There are only a few examples in the Old Testament where you see God in an intimate relationship, a close fellowship with man. Of course, we saw Adam. He would walk with God in the garden in the cool of the day. He would hang out with God. And I believe God was showing him the glory of his creation. And they had a wonderful fellowship and a wonderful relationship. And then we see Abraham, the Bible says, was called the friend of God. And Abraham was called the friend of God because he followed God by faith, looking ahead to that final sacrifice one day of Jesus Christ. And then, of course, the last one that I could think of is that you have Moses on the mountain. And even Moses had to be protected from the glory and magnificence of God. Folks, that, that's what we're supposed to have. 
Well, as the Old Testament marched on and, and history began to roll, along comes Jesus and he begins to talk about God is my father, God is my dad. And if you know me, you've known him. And that made people angry because God is supposed to be behind the veil. But that's what Jesus came to do. He came to free us. He came to give us salvation from our sins. He came to open the veil so we could come into a close personal relationship with God the Father through God the Son. So that's the first question this morning. If we're going to talk about the importance of fellowship, the number one thing is you've got to know Jesus. You have to know God. That's eternal life. If you don't have a close personal relationship with God the Father because you've not come through Jesus the Son, can I encourage you? Come through Jesus the Son. Forget about dead religion. Forget about dead works. Forget about all of those things that you think that you have to do, the, the, dot your I's and cross your T's. And Folks, it's Jesus. It's always been Jesus. It will only ever be Jesus that can wash away our sin. That's it. There's no other way. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4, verse number 12, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved, the name of Jesus. Do you know him this morning? I mean, do you know him this morning? I'll never forget the day, October 7th, 1987, when I came to this church and there was a crazy evangelist. His name was Tommy Stone. I was 17 years old. And he was insane. He was an old oil rig guy from Texas, and he was about 10 feet tall and 5 feet wide. That's what it seemed to me. I was a kid, and I kind of hero-worshipped this guy. He was just an amazing man. He sang silly songs and made everybody laugh. Ha, 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 ha. Do you remember that, Pam? <laughs> he had that big old Texas laugh, and, and he would make you laugh, and he would kind of reel you in, and just as you're like, oh, ha, ha, you go, boom, you need Jesus. Caught you off guard. And I remember sitting in the sanctuary and I had what I call a hope so hand. The pastor would have us bow our heads and close our eyes and ask the question, do you know for sure that if you were to die today, you would be present with God because of the blood of Jesus Christ? Are you absolutely certain that you have a home in heaven? And I would sit there and I had a hope so hand. I would go, well, one of the times I asked Jesus to save me, he must have done it because I asked him to save me like a million times because I never had confidence that Jesus would do what he said he would do. That means I didn't have faith. I was just praying a bunch of prayers, saying a bunch of words, but it wasn't mixed with faith. You can ask Jesus to save you a million times. If you don't believe he wants to and he will, you're not going to be saved because it's not the asking. It's the faith. But I sat there in that church and I, I, I'm like, oh, I must have, one of those times, I must have really meant it, man. I must have really, one of those times and I would go, ah, yeah, I, yeah, I got it. I'm good. I'm good. And Tommy Stone wasn't satisfied with that hand. And he kept talking about doubt. And if you have any doubts at all, you need to settle those doubts. And, and finally, I got up and I walked down. We had a time of prayer up front in the, in the church. And, and I knelt down and I started to pray. And me and Jesus were having... Uh, an argument, because that's what I do. I argue, and uh, and it was just this. The devil was fighting. I believe in spiritual warfare. There were evil spirits surrounding me and trying to drag me away from Jesus. And Jesus was fighting for me. And I have guardian angels, and they were fighting for me. And I was sitting there in this in this conflict. And Rick Morin came over to pray with me, and I'm like, I'm all set. 
And, uh, and then finally my father-in-law came to pray with me and, and, and Jesus opened my eyes to believe him. See, some of you right now, you're still stuck. You're still stuck. You're stuck in doubt. You're stuck in fear. And you don't have fellowship with God because you're so afraid. What finally did it for me was as I was praying, I said, Lord, you don't understand. Could you imagine telling God that he doesn't understand something? 17-year-old kid, arrogant, arrogant. And uh, I'm like, you don't get it. I have tried to fix myself. I've tried to turn over a new leaf. I've tried to clean up my life. I've tried to change my thoughts. And I can't. And Jesus would say, I know you can't. That's why I had to die for you. And then I would say, but you don't understand, Lord. You don't understand. And I would go through a litany of all the sins in my life. And he would say, I know. That's why I had to die for you. And then I was just arguing back and forth. And finally, it came to me as he was speaking to my spirit and to my heart. My spirit was dead. He was speaking to my heart and my soul. And he said, listen, I died for you because you can't. If you could, I wouldn't have bothered to come. But you can't make alive something that is dead. You can turn over a new leaf. You can get out of addiction. You can do all of these wonderful things. Listen, there are amazing programs where people have been steeped in alcohol and drugs and sex and they've come out of all of that and they're walking in freedom from those sins, right? But they're not believers in Christ. They can't make their dead spirit come alive. Only Jesus can do that. And what he finally convinced me of was that not only could he save me, and some of you all have heard this story, but not only could he save me, but he wanted to save me. Which to me, I'm very insecure as a person. Very low self-esteem. It blew me away. You want to save me? Yes. You do know who you're talking to, right? Like Eric. Yeah, I know. And I finally just said, Lord Jesus, the best way I know how. Please save me, forgive me of my sin, past, present, future, make me your child. And in that moment, my spirit came alive. It was quickened, it was made alive. And this passage in Ephesians, before that moment, it didn't apply to me because I had not yet been made alive. But as I prayed that prayer, some kind of miracle happened and the Holy Spirit came into me and took my dead spirit and breathed life into it. Just like God breathed life into Adam at the very beginning. Folks, do you know Jesus? That is the beginning of true fellowship. If you're sitting here with a hope so hand, a maybe so hand, if you're sitting here full of doubt, if you're sitting here and you got religion, folks, you need Jesus. Forget religion. I think religion sends a lot of people to hell. I think religion has done a lot of bad and has harmed a lot of people in this world. But Jesus hasn't. He loves you. He wants to set you free. He wants to give you life. And then what John taught us in the passage that we were just going through is that fellowship with one another, and this is why it's so important, is fellowship with Jesus. You see, because not only do you have your human spirit made alive, but you also have the Holy Spirit living within you. 
When you come to Jesus, he makes your human spirit come to life and now you can communicate with God the Father in a spiritual way that you never could before. But you also have the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says he indwells you. He will never leave you. In fact, it says he seals you under the day of redemption. He's holding on to you just like Jesus is and just like the Father is. When you come to God for salvation, man, you are wrapped in the Trinity. And so when we fellowship with one another, you have to understand this, we're also fellowshipping with God. Because there's a Jesus in you, there's a Holy Spirit in you, and we are fellowshipping with Jesus when we fellowship with one another. Did you read that with me where John said that? When you fellowship with us, truly you're fellowshipping with the Father and with the Son. And there's a lot of people that they look at coming to church and they look at gathering together as something that's optional. Folks, it's not optional to come into the gathering to worship God and to fellowship together. It's not optional. We need to do it. We need each other. When we fellowship with each other, we fellowship with Jesus. You and I have the living spirit within us. We, I like to say we carry God's spiritual DNA within our hearts. We carry God's DNA. We are kids of the King. Jesus said that knowing Him was knowing the Father. And so when we begin to know each other, we also get to know God. Uh, uh, there was a, one of our senior saints was talking about this. He's been in a Bible circle and, and, and he struggles with reading and he struggles with some comprehension things. And, uh, and so reading his Bible was a chore. Anybody else ever feel that way? Can I tell you that the devil doesn't want you to read your Bible? Can I also tell you that your flesh, the dead part of you, the, the flesh that is going to die and be in the grave one day wants nothing to do with anything that talks about God? So that's why it's a battle to read the Bible. But some people go beyond that in their comprehension. They struggle to read it because they're having a hard time understanding it. They don't have the education. They had to go to work as a young kid. You name it. And the testimony of this fellow is that as he got together in a Bible life circle, he began to learn about God from the other men in his circle as they shared with him how God was applying scripture to their lives. And what was happening was, not only was this gentleman fellowshipping with his brothers in Christ, but he was fellowshipping with God himself as God spoke to him words of life through the lives of his brothers because he couldn't understand very well the written word. And of course, Paul the apostle tells us that the epistle, we are the epistles of God written on your hearts. Our lives are living letters for those that don't know Christ and for those that do. And so when we fellowship with each other, we fellowship with Jesus. And my friends, that is the absolute importance of fellowship. It brings vitality to our lives. It, it feeds our joy. When you go back to verses 3 and 4 of First uh, John chapter 1, he said that that which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you may also have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son Jesus Christ and these things we write to you that your joy, that your joy may be full. Fellowshipping with one another feeds our joy. 
There's some people, they don't believe in belonging to a local family, a local church. And I'm telling you, with everything that I understand, how I've interpreted the Scripture, how I read the Scripture, you're wrong. You are wrong. You need a local family. You need people that know you. You need people that can call you out, confront you, challenge you, encourage you, build you up in a personal way as the Holy Spirit moves through them to minister to you. Folks, we need that. We need each other. It feeds our joy. And I already made a mention here, does God care about your joy? Absolutely. And one of the tools that he gave us to feed our joy is each other. It's fellowship. It's fellowship. Now listen, we live in an age of mental illness. And I know because I have some. Pastor has mental illness. Have you met me? Duh. And one of the things that happens to you when you're depressed is you want to isolate yourself. You don't want to be around others. And I think the devil knows his duty, man. He knows his job. And as he isolates you and he convinces you not to get around other people, your joy from Jesus is inhibited squelched, diminished. Because when we fellowship with each other, God feeds our joy. Fellowship feeds our joy. So I would challenge you, and listen, I know mental illness is a serious thing. Trust me, I know. Push yourself out of your comfort zone. Get around the people of God. Get around people that really love you and really care for you. And you know what? I'm going to guarantee you this because it's happened to me. Even Jesus people are going to say stupid things to you. (laughs) It's just reality, guys. Some people are going to want to try to help you and they're going to say the absolute wrong thing. And that's where we recognize that there is Jesus in them and sometimes he's not always controlling their tongue. And we recognize that God says if you give mercy in abundance to each other, then man will give mercy in abundance to you, pressed down, flowing over. That's what God says. So if you want to have mercy from others for all of your screw-ups, I'll give you a secret. It's my secret. It's actually Scripture. Pour mercy into everybody. Every chance you get, pour mercy into people. Be forgiving, pour it out, because God will pour it back into you through other people. So if you want to live a life where people are merciful to you and forgiving to you, Be forgiving to others. Fellowship feeds joy. And then this, fellowship brings freedom from sin. He talks about if we walk in darkness, we have no fellowship with him, for God is light. But when we come together in fellowship, something happens. The Bible says this, bear one another's burdens. That's what the scripture teaches us. The Bible talks about how we are able to confront one another Sometimes, listen, the best thing is when the Holy Spirit pricks your heart and says, you shouldn't have done that, confess that sin, and you confess your sin, and God rushes in with forgiveness, that's beautiful. But can I be honest, sometimes we're kind of hard-headed, we're kind of thick, and we may be falling into sin, and we may be struggling to hear the Holy Spirit talk to us. And then when we're together with our brothers and sisters in Christ, That's where glorious, godly confrontation can happen. And confrontation is not a dirty word. 
It's a gift when it's given correctly. It's a gift because it restores our fellowship with one another and with God. We can have accountability with each other. We can, we can share with each other, hey, I'm really struggling. I'm really struggling. Can you pray for me, brother? Can you pray for me, sister? I need your help. I'm struggling. Folks, when we come together in fellowship, it brings freedom from sin. It brings freedom from sin. Those are some of the things that make fellowship so important. Hey, all thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.